Hey, Courtney. Hey, Sasha. Do you want to know my thoughts on Orion's belt? I would love to know them. I think it's a huge waste of space. (laughs) That's a terrible joke. Only three stars. Get it? It's Spoop Hour. Get it? Welcome back to Spoop Hour, where we just jeb budge, budge, bushed the shit out of that joke. Please laugh. Please laugh. Please. <laughs> it's funny. We are a paranormal comedy podcast. We are still getting used to our new recording space. It's also cold down here today because it's very rainy outside, so our ordinarily comfortable AC temperature is making it very cold, so yes. <laughs> we're yeah. dealing. It's all of a sudden only 60 degrees in June, as opposed to the other day when it was 100, so. Yeah, so like, <laughs> I don't know. Here we go. Fucking weather, right? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we're Spoop Hour, and <laughs> you can find us, as always, on Twitter and Instagram as at Spoop Hour, or drop us a line at spoophour at gmail.com. This is Courtney and Sasha. That's I'm Sasha. Sasha. This is Courtney. As always. Anything spooky happened to you this week? I have yes answers. So I was down in our basement by myself with my cat finishing up my research because we are recording on a Friday night and I was at work up until shortly ago and weirdly I didn't get my research done at work. (laughs) And I was finishing it up and today's topic is one that actually scared me a lot when I was little, but we'll go into that in a second. So as I'm finishing up this really intense story doing my research, there's this weird noise that almost sounds like, or like my phone buzzed on the table, but my phone hadn't buzzed, and Zelda was laying next to me, so it's not like she rubbed up on anything, and it was thoroughly spoopy, and then I panicked and texted Sasha to come down here so that she could get haunted alongside me. I'm trying to like look around and see if anything like kind of fell. I don't know what it could have been. I feel like there was something spooky that happened to me this week. Mr. Blobby? Oh, well, yeah, we, we can talk about that. <laughs> yes, Mr. Blobby. But this morning, Uh-oh. as you guys may have seen on the Twitter, <laughs> the ghost of Neil's past <laughs> made an entrance today after I threw up at the gym <laughs> because my trainer was like, can you keep going? And I was like, yeah. And then 30 seconds later, I'm sprinting off the machine and have my head in the trash can. And so now we know the answer is no. Yeah. But yeah, I'm looking forward to next Wednesday night's training and next Friday morning's training now, <laughs> now that I know. So let's talk about Blobby. We were watching, my Jack and I were watching Big Fat Quiz of the 90s. And I was sitting in our kitchen loft, like above the TV, watching from mm-hmm. upstairs. <laughs> and for those of you who don't know, in that episode of Big Fat Quiz... They bring on Mr. Blobby, who was apparently a prominent children's entertainer in the early 90s. In England, so So don't feel bad if you don't know who this is. Yeah, but apparently he ruined a lot of childhoods and ruined our adulthood because he is a fucking terrifying monster. Yeah, like earlier in the episode, they brought on two of the Teletubbies, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't like they weren't in their costumes. It was like the two of the actors who were in the Teletubby Mm -hmm. suits. I was like, oh, yeah, Teletubby is great. So and then they brought out Mr. Blobby this in the Mr. Blobby suit. And his Mm-mm. voice, <laughs> it sounds like the souls of the damned in hell just screaming. It's terrible. It's bad. It's And it wasn't the thing to watch before going to bed last night. No. No. And yet we did, so it's fine. We survived. So, Brits, um, tell us about your Mr. Blobby experiences, yes. please. Or if any of you had some sort of very specific Mr. Blobby unpleasant experience, go ahead and tell us. Like, did he ruin your childhoods? Did you meet him once at some sort of horrible child torture center? Like, tell us. It's funny, we didn't get Mr. Blobby when we talked about childhood trauma things. Because we didn't know that. We didn't know. Like, none of our friends we were knew. Naive. Yeah. Naive. Naive. We were naive then. 
But it's, I think none of our friends knew what that was. And then when we opened mm-hmm. it up to Twitter and people... At least heard, not our friends on Facebook. Right, not our friends my, on Facebook. My UK-based friend doesn't yeah. have a Facebook. But right. she was like, I remember Mr. Blobby. Yeah, and some other Twitter <laughs> pods were mm-hmm. like, nope, we know what this is. Yep. And it was like, oh no, oh I god. It, it might have even been, that episode might have been before we really had a Twitter going. Right, so we do need to do a second episode of childhood trauma. Yeah, and we're also going to want to do a second episode because today's topic... Aliens. Aliens. We're both that, doing the hands. The, uh, we're both doing the hands. The hands. Aliens. Aliens. I even put in my notes, in the notes, like open HTML hands, and then I put aliens, and then close HTML hands, because <laughs> I'm funny. I'm showing it to Sasha next, wow. she believes me. Amazing. I'll take a picture, hands. we'll post it on Instagram. Hands. <laughs> so, as it turns out, a lot of people have had alien experiences, which is particularly upsetting to me, because as I mentioned earlier, I was very afraid of aliens growing up. I'm less afraid of them now, although mm. I still 100% believe they exist. I am all in on aliens. It awoken me latent memories of fearful times Mm -hmm. like we'd be driving back from a family friend's house in Waldorf and there was some sort of something that had just spotlights and they would just like rotate around in the sky so it would just be like a beam of light Mm -hmm. moving erratically across Mm -hmm. the the sky oh yeah and the first time I saw it I was like what the fuck is that right little second grade Courtney term so my parents were like oh it's just spotlights no worries but like a part of me wasn't convinced a part of me was like they're just saying this because they don't want me to be afraid of these fucking aliens. Yeah. But I was afraid. I guess for me, Spotlights didn't do it because I was familiar with the 20th Century Fox logo, oh. and so, like, Spotlights weren't a weird thing. I just thought for some reason there was, like, 20th Century Fox happening. <laughs> I was, like, that's their signal. Yeah. But I guess, again, with, like, childhood media, mm-hmm. um, the King and Kodos actually scared me for a while. Oh, yeah. Well, they are scary. And now I think they're funny. And then the aliens, the aliens from Independence Day, because that was one that I watched as a small child. Like, obviously, I'm not going to watch Aliens as a small child, but Mm -hmm. I did watch Independence Day. Same. And then at the Springfield Mall, back in the day when it was Springfield Mall and not fucking Town Center. Springfield Town Center. um, There was this, like, pop culture entertainment store, and they had, like, a life-size replica of the alien from Aliens, like, Mm -hmm. in the front of their shop. Like, at the entrance, and then there was, like, a life-size alien being from some other pop culture, sci-fi, whatever. Yikes. Guarding the, guarding the shop. Mm-hmm. And so I would always, like, latch onto my parents as we were walking by. It didn't help that Hot Topic was also nearby, but it was Hot Topic back when they had the gargoyles oh, in front, when it was, like, you know, like, edgier, like edgier not, like hot topics of pop culture now. Not like, I love Game of Thrones. Right, or I love Riverdale. I love Hello Kitty. Right? I fucking love Hot Topic. <laughs> I get all my, like, Ghibli shit. <laughs> but I would, like, be really scared of going past that store, and it wasn't until I realized they sold Pokemon merchandise there oh. that I finally sucked it up and went in. But yeah, so like, brave. the sci- sci-fi movie yeah. aliens scared me really bad when I was little. Same. And I will say in my defense, like, the spotlights might not have scared me as much if I could see their source, mm-hmm. but because it was when we were driving back and they were a long way off. All mm-hmm. I saw was above trees, these searchlights. Yeah. So I couldn't see like buildings or anything, just trees yeah. and then these weird lights. So I was oh, thoroughly spooked. The aliens in Spice World. I never saw Spice World. With their tiny little heads and their big ass collars <laughs> and their weird hands. <laughs> that was weird. I did not like that. I would fast forward <laughs> on my VHS whenever I got to the aliens part. Also, one of them tried to... Like, grab Scary Spice's boob. <gasps> That's inappropriate, aliens. I know, and so she smacked him and good. yelled at him, and I was like, good. Good. You tell him, Mel B. Right? Mel B was an answer in she was. game show. And she's also, she's also been on Big Fat Quiz, although yeah. she's not in the Big Fat Quiz of the 90s she's in. I think it's the Big Fat Quiz of, I want to say, 2016. Okay. I love all the Big Fat Quizzes. <laughs> they are my favorite. You like big fat quizzes and you cannot lie. I, I cannot lie. Yeah. You other brothers cannot deny. So yeah, I guess we have a lot to talk about. We um, do. So let's just so let's jump in. I've got locations. Courtney's got specific, specific stories, instances. and then if we have time at the end, I've got two very short ones that are kind of just stupid. <laughs> <laughs> if we have time at the end, you'll hear me quietly weeping because I'm probably going to be alone in the house tonight. <laughs> Recording Uh-oh. on a Friday night. Woo! So, this is poop at the beginning. Oh, you know what? <laughs> it's because I started typing in the title and I wrote spoop, but only the S got into the title and then Ooh. poop, and then I just clicked back, but I never deleted poop. Poop. Okay, so poop. 
starts my notes. <laughs> That's how I feel about so, this. So, yeah, like we said, there's, you know, so much to talk about. And one thing that I, like, regret not being able to talk about is, like, literary alien. Oh, we have to do another <laughs> alien episode. So we have episode. to do another alien there's episode, so, but, yeah. Even from earlier today when I texted you the things I wanted to talk about, I told you four things, yeah. and then I ended up only having three because I got really into the third one and just, like, didn't have time to right. go into the fourth. Yeah, there's there's too much to talk about. So much. I also, like, wanted to do pop culture aliens. And I mean, there are I, so yeah, many good so ones. There's so many good ones. So like, if, there was a whole thing that was like, why do p- aliens and pop cultures all have, like, similar face shapes? And I was like, I might I have an talk. answer for you good, okay. in mine. Also, don't blame me. I voted for Kodos. Ha. Huh. All right. So they're just really, really briefly, the Japanese folktale, the tale yes. of the bamboo cutter or Kaguya Hime or mm-hmm. Princess um, Kaguya, if you guys have seen the Ghibli film. Mm-hmm. Girl is an extraterrestrial. Oh. Like, if you think about it, she oh, came yeah, from the that moon. That makes sense. Right? Yeah. It's, that's like early yeah, that's, sci-fi. Yeah. 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 I wouldn't have thought of her as like an alien. Well, no, because she right? looks like a people. Because she looks like a people. But she's from space. She's from space. Yeah. People okay. from space. People from space. So, Area 51. Yay! Alright, can't have a discussion about aliens without talking about Area 51. Nope. This has piqued my curiosity since I was little. You know, the thought, like, the government has a facility for aliens. I'm doing the hands. Doing the hands. Every aliens. time. Just aliens. Um, and my reaction to learning about Area 51 for the first time was kind of like the president in Independence Day being like, there's no such thing as Area 51. And then his Secretary of Defense is like, um, actually. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, that's not entirely true. And the president's like, what the fuck? I'm not allowed to know about this. And they're like, yeah, technically no. For your own good. It's I, for your own good. I always got Area 51 and Roswell confused oh, as a kid. I also but, don't know anything about Roswell. Yeah, so we should do another episode. <laughs> we have to do so much. <laughs> From Atlas Obscura, the wonderful folks. Yay. This is their kind of write-up because they do, you know, tourist areas that mm. are interesting. So... They rode by Area 51. Hidden within a ring of mountains deep within the high desert is Area 51, a secretive military installation that exists as part of the Nellis Military Operations Area. Well known for its role in conspiracy theories, it has served as a military test facility since the 50s. Originally known as Site 2... I don't know Ooh. where Area 51 came <laughs> um, or the They got 49 more sites, I guess. <laughs> right? Or the ranch. This mm. mysterious base is where Lockheed created the first U-2 spy planes. Not to be confused with the Thousand Island. Right? It's a hilarious <laughs> salad dressing joke. It's Friday night. I'm so tired. <laughs> they went on to build the SR-71 Blackbird, the A-12 or ox cart, likely the inspiration for many UFO sightings, which yeah. we'll talk about in a little bit. And the F-117 Nighthawk at this location, which was shrouded in secrecy and deep in the desert. The base is probably the most famous secret military base in the world, which is funny because it's famous, but it's also a secret military base. Um, It's famous for being secret. And for decades, determined visitors have been attempting to get close, yearning for a chance to unlock its secrets with their telephoto lenses. (laughs) Yearning. Consistently thwarted, the snooping citizens are unable to get close. The area around the base is patrolled by numerous pickup driving guards armed with M16s allowed to use deadly force if someone does not halt entering the base. Hell yeah. As of yet, there has been no such incident, but it's surely a deterrent. Usually the guards call the police who dole out a $600 fine to those curious enough to try to get try and get too close. The closest legal vantage point of the base is at the top of Tikaboo Peak, which is a cute name. <laughs> Tikaboo. Which is about 26 miles away. Okay. So 26 miles close. is not close, but that's as far as you I think can. I'm looking at it, but it might be a tree. It might be something else. <laughs> I don't know. So so yeah, there's there's one new element to it is that there's Nevada is kind of like capitalizing on the popularity of Area 51. <laughs> so there's an adjacent highway, which they've nicknamed the Extraterrestrial Highway, with nearby towns awash with extraterrestrial keychains, t-shirts, and alien-themed motel called Little Alien. <laughs> A-li-in. All right. <laughs> Spoop our field trip. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a minor league baseball team in Las Vegas called the 51s. Aww. Right? Aww. So, you know, there's a lot of conspiracy theories around it. I'm talking about, like, time travel research and underground transcontinental wa- railroad, which I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more about this so I don't have to ever get on a plane exactly. again. <laughs> and, of course, a secret lab where aliens work with the government to re- reverse engineer alien technology. Oh, well, if the aliens are working with the government, don't they already know how to do it? Or do we get the aliens who are like, I don't know, man, I'm a plumber. Right. Like, I like, can't okay, build We're going to try to, like, reverse engineer this then. So again, there's a there is a town nearby. It's called Rachel. 
There are a lot of weird names in this one. And it then there's one way that you t- go down six miles of winding dirt roads, and then you get to a guard building in the middle of nowhere, and then they might arrest you. <laughs> <laughs> what a fun field trip. Right? <laughs> Wikipedia. Yay! Adds on to some of this. Give them we, money. Give them money, please. So the CIA, the correct names for the facility are called Homie Airport <laughs> and Groom Lake. <laughs> Even though Area 51 has been used in a CIA document from the Vietnam War. Mm. It's also been referred to as Dreamland and Paradise Ranch. I, I don't know. Paradise I, Ranch sounds like where Michael Jackson invites small children. Oh, God. Doesn't oh, it? Oh, no. The special use airspace around the field is called Restricted Area 480 North. Okay. So I guess <laughs> North is some sort of, like, math code to get it back down to 51? Maybe. <laughs> So, the secretive nature of this place, um, you know, always has, like, said before, you know, a lot of conspiracy theories, right? Right. And not the kind of conspiracy theories where you're like, oh, God, like, you know, these people are Nazis, but more like conspiracy theories that tickle your brain and you're like, ooh, I'm Ooh, so I love spooky, brain tickling right? conspiracy theories. Um, so We've got to do an episode on those brain ticklers. Right? Yeah. So, some of these include, like we said before, reverse engineering of crashed alien spacecraft, including materials supposedly re- recovered at Roswell. Um, the study of their occupants, living and dead. So if you think about, like, gray aliens, especially the aliens in the tubes in Independence Day. Yeah. I hate them so much. (laughs) Um, And the manufacture of aircraft based on alien technology. Again, if you think about Independence Day, they had, you know, they're trying to reverse engineer the spaceship, right? And Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum. He figures it out. Jeff Goldblum. Okay. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) If you you ever look at the DMs between me and our other roommate. It's all Jeff Goldblum. It's just us sending each other Goldblum pics. Honestly, if you ever look at them interacting in real life, a lot of it is Jeff Goldblum. Goldblum. So, meetings are joint undertakings with extraterrestrials, the development of exotic energy weapons for the Strategic Mm -hmm. Defense Initiative or other other weapons programs, the development of means of weather control. (gasps) Hmm. They made it cold. You'd think if they knew how to control the weather, we wouldn't be having to battle climate change right now. But what do I know? Well, they don't believe in climate change. That's how they get you. They're like, we want to control the weather, but we don't believe in it. No, they are controlling the weather, and that and is mi- <gasps> climate change, and that's why all these other places in the world are becoming ravaged by drought <sighs> and, like, creating this, you know, refugee situation. You and, heard it here first, yeah. folks. Right? Cracked it wide Cracked it. open. And then they're, you know, refusing entry to refugees, and they're refusing to send aid to people who are, you know, suffering because of climate change. In the same way they refuse people to check out Area 51, where they keep their weather control machine. We got a really good. We got to really dig into this. Just like how I have like two steps. I'm like two steps from a creepy pasta with experiences I've had in this new house. Oh god, it's a good time. I will say my Sorry. toilet, the one that uh, our third roommate and yeah. I share, that one makes the oh, it's doing it noise, too? noises. And I was at my parents' house the other day, sitting, you know, at their kitchen table reading a book, and their toilet made the weird all of a sudden like filling without hmm. yeah. So well, maybe... it's just a thing that happens to toilets. There Don't are worry. there are other things that have happened to me here that are not toilet related. Hmm. Put that on my gravestone. Oh God. There are things that have happened to me here that aren't toilet related. <laughs> R.I.P. Courtney. <laughs> yeah, and then so Wikipedia just kind of went on about all these other weird things, including this one thing about ox cart and how the shape of ox cart looks like basically an ox cart. A... No, it doesn't look like an ox cart at all. It's Described as this wide disc-like fuselage, but it has a titanium body and it reflects the sun in ways that people would think UFO. Sure. So, like, you can tell why people would be like, ooh, about it. So, yeah, lots of weird things. Some people have, you know, especially conspiracy theorists who are like, I'm a former scientist at Area 51 or whatever. Oh, I love how many former scientists at Area 51 there are. Right, and says, like, we're, like, this one person in particular in 2004, Dan Burrish, which was a pseudonym of this guy named Dan Crane, claimed to have worked on cloning alien viruses at Area 51 along an alien named (laughs) J-Rod. What up? It's your boy J Rod. <laughs> kind of want to call the episode that. <laughs> what up? Point. It's your boy J Rod. But he, he was like, yeah, I was a scientist, but he was actually a Las Vegas parole officer. <laughs> so I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like there might be some holes in his story. Right? 
<laughs> so going from Nevada, we're going to go all the way up to New England really quick. All right. So we just got on a plane and traveled for like probably seven, eight we hours. We got on an ox cart. <laughs> a very, right. very, very fast, fast ox cart. cart. People think we're in a UFO coming, flying across the sky. They're like, holy shit, it looked like an ox cart. And there were these two girls in it and they both had blankets draped around them. So I got a lot of my information from, again, Wikipedia, give them money. And a now defunct blog by an old mysteri- mysterious sites explorer in New England named Christopher Pittman. So there's this place called... Is he called... actually a Las Vegas parole officer? No, this one is not. No, uh-huh. he's actually, he's an explorer in New England. And so he explores like old ruins and stuff of towns. But okay. there's this one place called Bridgewater Triangle. It's an area of about 200 square miles within southeastern Massachusetts in the United States. And we know Massachusetts isn't very big, so no. just think about like a corner okay. in southeastern Massachusetts. Claimed to be the site of alleged paranormal phenomenon, ranging from UFOs to poltergeists, orbs, balls of fire, and other spectral phenomena... Various Bigfoot-like setting, uh, sightings, giant snakes, and thunderbirds. Goodness gracious. And so I think we need to talk about this place another time because it's really fucking crazy. Yeah, we'll need to do And I also want to thank Matt and Megan for introducing me to this because I, I fell into like a hole today on the internet. Basically, what? we both fell into deep internet holes. Right. There's another possible <laughs> deep title. Internet holes. Deep internet holes. <laughs> so the first documented UFO sighting in the Bridgewater Triangle took place on May 10th, 1760. Shit. 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 Yeah. At 10 o'clock in the morning, a sphere of fire was observed over New England. According to historical records, the UFO emitted light bright enough to cast a shadow in bright sunlight. The sound made by the object, oddly enough, was heard sooner at the middle of the course it took rather than at at the beginning. In Massachusetts, the light was seen in Bridgewater as well as in Roxbury, which is another town within this triangle. Bridgewater was again visited on Halloween night in 1908, an incident that was well documented in the local newspapers. Two undertakers were driving a carriage from West Bridgewater to the center of Bridgewater when the incident occurred shortly after 3 a.m. They described the object as looking like an unusually strong lantern, about two and a half feet in diameter, illuminating a large object resembling a balloon bag. So, hmm. like, I guess like a hot like air a balloon? Hot air balloon. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe um, like the things they used to carry water in. Oh, maybe, yeah. Yeah. They watched it for at least 40 minutes, and other witnesses saw it, too. It was seen to hover at times and to keep a straight, steady course at other times. Though one newspaper reported that all the balloons in which ascensions are made in this state were accounted for, (laughs) some people who had not seen the object believed the UFO had just been a hot air balloon. I want to meet the guy who had to do the balloon census. Right, he was like, nope, all of them are accounted for. (laughs) Also, balloon census, another name for this episode. (laughs) To counter this suggestion, one of the undertakers wrote, I claim that a hot air balloon could not move in a circle or perpendicular as this one did. (laughs) He also wrote Pretty sure they can do both, but okay. He also, well, I think, but he means, like, because usually hot air balloons, they're going kind of with the wind, and they, they yeah. you can't really, like, tell them to, like, move in circles like this. You That's know what I mean? True. Or, like, you... Unless the wind is moving, right, in, moving circles. in circles. That's the whole point of an Ian McEwan book, which is called Enduring Love, is that you can't control the balloons and it blows off. Right, and so they're saying that it's, like, moving okay. at, like, maybe, like, taking angles... All right, I'm back in. Yeah, are you back in? I'm back in. Um, So he also wrote that the object moved up and down seemingly at the will of some individual. And so in the 1950s and 60s, there were more UFO sightings, which makes sense. Yeah, everybody was on peyote. Right, and then also everyone was like scared of the Cold War. Yeah, so Um, between the Cold War and lots of drugs, it was just a shit show. Right, and so two UFOs were seen landing... Seen landing. (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) Near Route 44 in Tanton in December of 1976. On March 23rd, 1979, two newsmen from WHDH saw an object shaped like a home plate on a baseball diamond (laughs) emit a mysterious green substance at the junction of Routes 24 and 106, also in Tanton. They basically no-homoed their alien story because they were like, we like sports and also saw this alien, but like sports, right? Actually, I wonder if this is Tanton or Taunton. Knowing oh, that, like, you know, like Stanton, Stanton as, so I can't it. pronounce it as Staunton anymore, it's Stanton. If you live there, tell us. Yeah, Taunton, Tanton. <laughs> and then in January 1991, a green flying disc was seen in Bridgewater moving slowly and silently at an altitude of about a, about 50 feet, illuminating a large area with a powerful spotlight. At there we go. 50, oh, see? Spotlights. See? Fucking spotlights. Right? Also, only 50 feet? That's yeah. a really low UFO. Yeah, some of our trees in our backyard are taller than 50 feet. Confirmed. Right? Like, that's... <laughs> Not tall. Yeah, I don't understand. 
But this is, again, just a small sample of what's been yeah. reported in the Bridgewater Triangle. In late November of 1997, a law enforcement officer working the night shift in Bridgewater saw a very large triangular UFO with three white and two red star-like lights. Okay. On December 10th, 1998, a witness near Route 44 in Middleborough saw a strange, brightly lit craft with numerous red, green, and white lights maneuvering over Assawampset. <laughs> It had the word ass in it. <laughs> Pond in Middleborough. Womp sit that ass. Womp that ass. Yeah. Womp um, sit that ass. Womp. There it is. Womp. Um, the it object is. split in two, and then the two UFOs flew geometric patterns at high speed around the sky, displaying spectacular colored lights. The craft then joined into one again and disappeared. Air Force planes were seen over the pond immediately following the incident, apparently searching for something. All right, so Area 51's probably, uh, like, yeah. monitoring this situation, sure. right? And then in the summer of 1999, 20-year-old G- George Lacoste saw a UFO in his hometown again of Bridgewater. <laughs> fucking Bridgewater. Jesus. According to the local newspaper, the Sunday Enterprise, Lacoste saw a distant red light. He said it was moving all around, moving in shapes that planes normally don't move. Additionally, multiple witnesses spotted balls of fire in 2011, and 21 separate reports were... F- filed of a, the same sphere of fire in the night sky so bright that it lit up entire towns. Then there's also this other spooky phen- phenomenon that's, like, also, like, super poorly understood, but okay. it's called the Black Helicopters. I Have you heard this? I recall that's, like, a common thing in conspiracy theories. Yeah. It's like, you know they're coming to get you because there are black helicopters following you. Right. So it, they started appearing, appearing in the triangle. And so this was brought to light by an investigator named Joseph Trainer in his news, weekly e-newsletter, UFO Roundup, <laughs> on July 9th, 2002. According to the article, investigator Mary Lou Jones Drown began hearing a very loud, lo- very loud helicopter noise in Rehoboth, Massachusetts okay. on June 25th, 2002. No helicopters were apparent in the air when the noises were heard. She was able to locate and interview witnesses who told her that mysterious helicopters equipped with spotlights were seen flying over the Palmer River School on the north side of Route 44. Goddamn which, spotlights. Which, again, fucking Route 44. And Route which, 44, but also goddamn spotlights. spotlights. Some reports described helicopters of the typical black variety, and others exhibited different colors. According to UFO Roundup, a farm owner in South Rehoboth, Massachusetts, told Mary Lou that two black helicopters with spotlights were flying in formation above the trees. The choppers came from the southeast from Mount Hope Bay in Swasina. Another witness told Mary Lou about a, s- sighting a strange helicopter on Friday and Saturday, July 5 and 6, 2002. Described it like it was a gray camouflage or a striped helicopter type. Those two things are very different. Yeah. Then from August 7th and 8th and again on the 15th of 2002, mysterious black helicopters flew over Rehoboth again. Cats and goats were said to have appeared nervous while the choppers <laughs> were overhead. Just cats and goats. Cats dogs and goats. were cool. Maybe there Pigs are no were dogs. fine. The dog, yeah, Horses almost, were like, this is chill, but cats and goats were like, like I don't no, fucking know, I, man. I don't like this at this all. This is fucking aliens. And then, again, they said there was a show called Airwolf. Oh! And, yeah, and they were like, it looked like those helicopters. Yeah, I know about Airwolf because they make a joke in one of the seasons of Psych about it, because oh. Gus has an Airwolf windbreaker. I've never heard of Airwolf, but that's, that's the only a, reason that's I know one from specific Psych. detail from this, was they look like the helicopters from Airwolf. I like your, I'm reporting a UFO sighting. <laughs> <laughs> so, this reporter said that you could see their headlights, but the investigator was unable to determine the orig- origin of these noisy and intrusive aircraft. Mysterious helicopters have been closely associated with UFO lore since the 70s. But for me, the helicopters are so, like, welcome to Night Vale-y, and I mm. love it. Because there's a whole thing about, like, helicopters and welcome to Night Vale. And I'm like, okay. So, so Night Vale is not in the, the desert in, you know, southeastern or southwestern United States. It's in Bridgewater Triangle. Yep. <laughs> like, that's the only thing I can think of. Confirmed. So, I really want to talk about Bridgewater Triangle again some other time. Yeah. Because there's a lot of ridiculousness. There's, like, a murder cult. <gasps> And I know Fuck how you me, feel. Fuck me, I love about, murder cults. Right? So, um, so we'll talk about Bridgewater Triangle and some other. There's some a couple other triangles. Like what was the other one called? Oh, Bennington Triangle, which is not too far from there. Mm-hmm. I think that one's in uh, New Hampshire or uh, Vermont. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's still in New England. And then there's this idea of Lovecraft, Lovecraft Country, mm-hmm. which is basically where all of Lovecraft's stories are set, and they kind of feed off of some of the weird phenomenon that happened okay. in the, not the Bermuda Triangle, the um, Bennington, ben- Triangle? Bennington Triangle, as well as the Bridgewater Triangle. Gotcha. So, yeah, some crazy stuff. 
people be crazy. The people in this town in particular. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad they can, like, blame this, like, weird triangular area. Yeah. And not, Massachusetts. like, there's LSD in the water stream. Right. Which there must be. It seems My like God. everyone in this town is, like, all in. Right? God yeah. damn. I mean, I'm all in on aliens, too, but I've, like, never seen them outside of those spotlights when I was growing up. Right. So, like... Helicopters. They looked like helicopters that had like eight different descriptions. Maybe I'm not scared of helicopters because we live near a lot of helicopter activity. We, right? Like we <laughs> we live in a major first of all, major metropolitan area, but also near three airports and the Pentagon. Mm-hmm. So we get a lot of military aircraft here. Get a lot of helicopters. A lot Plus of military a, bases in here. There's a buttload of traffic, so it's just like, like traffic, t- copter traffic constantly. <laughs> so it's like, is it Air Force? helicopter or is it actually traffic right we just don't know all right i want to hear some stories all right well i hope you're ready to be upset because i sure am i'm gonna watch a lot of anime after this as a palate cleanser i know i'm just (laughs) gonna like go lay face down on the couch and be glad it's fucking friday finally but it's tuesday when you're listening to this sorry you're stuck with the rest of the week tuesday again no problem tuesday again no problem all right so, thank you to ufocasebook.com, sci-fi.com, redbull.com, and I put, like, eight exclamation points because, like, really? But they were helpful. <laughs> and csicop.org, nymag.com, and as always, Wikipedia. So I'm just getting all my sources out the way. Red Bull's really gross, but thank you for helping us it with gives our research. You, it gives you wings to see aliens, I guess. <laughs> if you want to sponsor us, we'll push through how gross your drink is. <laughs> it's real gross, guys. Just terrible. Just drink an iced peppermint mocha. <laughs> That's your only other option. All right, so the first story I want to tell is Jason Andrews of Kent. Mm-hmm. And I had never heard most of these stories. The one I'm going to go into last, I had heard a little bit about, but I didn't know a ton. So, Jason Andrews. In July 1987, we, Jason Andrews, turned four. He probably had a birthday cake and, like, presents and maybe a pinata, like, tiny children. or Your typical birthday. Yeah, as I put in my notes, grown-ass people who are me often do for their <laughs> birthdays. But then something weird started happening, as it always does in my stories. Outside his family's cottage near Slade, Kent, a storm started. As thunder sounded overhead, one lightning strike lit the whole cottage. So just one flash of lightning and then everything's illuminated. Then, we, Jason Andrews, who again, just turned four today, started spewing numbers. According to his parents and his older brother, Jason recited long, complex strings of numbers, mathematical equations, and even fucking algebra, which like... I don't like this. He was so small at this point that he could like barely count to ten. Right. Because he's four. I don't like, like this already. We're all still learning our goddamn letters at four. We don't know fucking algebra. I mean, maybe some of you do, but not this kid. <laughs> it's gonna get worse. The doors and windows of the cottage started shaking. Jason then turned to his family, and again, we baby Jason, only four, he said, in a trance-like state, they are waiting for me. No! I have to go. Stop! <laughs> Jason's father then leapt into action to try and keep his wee baby son, who was only goddamn four, from walking out into a giant fucking storm. But as Paul, his father, was trying to hold Jason inside, the house started shaking even more violently. No! Then there was finally one last huge shake, but Paul got a really good hold on Jason and the shaking stopped. Even the storm outside, oddly, seemed to stop. I hate this. Jason then snapped out of his trance, and nothing happened again for eight years. I don't like that something happens again after eight years. <laughs> <laughs> well, nothing happens again. You just get, in 1995, you get an explanation. Mm. Jason, at this point, is nearly 12. Mm-hmm. It's been, like, eight goddamn years. And he finally told his family the full story of what happened. Namely, that he had been regularly abducted by aliens as a child. I hate it. And this is all going to be in his terms, as he told his mom. It's always the light that comes first. Then I see the tall one rise up at the foot of my bed. Mm-mm. Suddenly, there's lots of little ones everywhere. No. They're fuzzy and indistinct, and they move very fast. What the fuck? I can't move or speak, but I'm awake, and I can see and hear and feel. I want to scream and run, but the sound doesn't come out, and my body doesn't move. I hate them. I have to go with them. They take me to an operating theater, like at the hospital. 
It's all white and shiny. Sometimes it's a circular room with a metal floor. It's always cold. They're there. The big one touches me, but I don't feel like... I don't feel it, like as if I've had an anesthetic. Then, wee baby Jason, who at this point is almost 12, looks up at his mom and says, But you don't believe me. You just think I'm making it all up. Except she did believe him. And she actually, like, did a lot of research into aliens and abductions and things like that. And ultimately wrote a book called Abducted about her son's experience. I hate it. It's very upsetting. Especially when he talks about tall ones and touching him. I know! I don't like the idea of a tall one rising from the foot of the bed. Mm -hmm. I don't like it. Mm -mm. It's bad. All right, you ready for the next story? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) She says, not at all ready. If we have time at the end of this episode, I need to tell you the two funny ones. That oh. I found <laughs> we'll make time. It's our oh. goddamn podcast. This can run long. <laughs> it's our goddamn podcast. We do what we want. All right. This is about Frederick Valentich of Australia. So at about 7 p.m. on October 21st, 1978, Frederick Fred Valentich, a 20-year-old pilot, left an airport in Victoria in a rented single-engined Cessna 182L. I don't know shit about planes, but by all accounts, it's not a big plane. It's right, yeah, small Cessna. Engine, yeah. And it's a, it's a single-engine Cessna, so right. it's just a little baby. Yeah, little baby plane. Little baby plane. Boop, boop, boop. Fred was heading southeast for King Island for a fishing trip, probably. We'll get into that later. When he spotted something weird. Another aircraft seemingly passing over him. That's when he radioed Melbourne, Melbourne, sorry, Air Flight Service. Melbourne. They get really antsy about it. Melbourne. In the same way that Australia hates, every city in Australia hates every other city in Australia. <laughs> like, it's, that's just a true fact. If you're Australian, you can tell us, but I know. There, you can read the full transcript. It's on CSI, CSICOP.org, and we'll post a link to it. But I don't think we have time for me to read the whole transcript because it gets a little long. Mm-hmm. But so he, at this point, he's radioed Melbourne Air Flight Service. And he described to the guy who answered his call a large, long metallic object with green lights on it. He said it was seemingly playing some sort of game with him, flying over him two or three times at speeds he couldn't identify. So that's when the controller tried to ask Fred where he was going and, like, what his plans were with his trip to try and figure out, like, I don't know, is this kid on drugs? Is he somewhere he's not supposed to be? Is this what he was he went for? But Fred, in the middle of his explanation, lost audio. Mm. So there were 17 seconds of silence, then audible, unidentified staccato noise. Mm. Fred and the plane were never seen again. But there is a theory as to what happened. (laughs) Fred was very, 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 very much an amateur Mm -hmm. when it comes to aviation. He logged only 150 hours of flying time before this instance, which is fucking nothing. Right. You got to do 40 hours of behind the wheel time in the Commonwealth of Virginia before you can get your license. So he's only done a little bit more than that. Yeah. He had a very low rating on his pilot's license that limited when he could fly to basically just during the day if the weather's not bad. Mm-hmm. He had also previously been rejected from the Royal Australian Air Force because of a lack of education. Twice, he failed all of his exam subjects while trying to get his commercial pilot's license, and on the third try, which was right before this fateful night, he failed three of the subjects again. He had previously been cited for deliberately flying blind into a cloud and also going into restricted airspace on accident. So he's maybe not the greatest pilot. So it's basically like Darwin Award. <laughs> um, maybe. but then there's an extra step. Uh-oh. According to his father, Fred was fucking obsessed with UFOs. Uh-huh. For him, the O stood for obsessed. Unidentified flying obsession. Un- <laughs> Edgy. Unbelievably fucking obsessed. <laughs> Love it. That's what it is. <laughs> He, so Fred loved movies and articles about UFOs, and he had previously told his father that he had seen one moving away very fast on a different occasion. He had even warned his dad about the dangers of a potential attack by extraterrestrial aircraft. So, because of all of this, people thought that maybe he had staged his disappearance to prove extraterrestrial life and get people to take the threat of alien abduction seriously. And really, he's just in, like, Tahiti having a good time. Exactly, but he's just like, eh, fuck it, I'll change my name, and I wanted to leave Australia anyway, and now he's just, like, living large in Tahiti. 
Especially because when he was asked what he was planning to do that day and why he needed the plane, he gave two different answers. In one, he said he was planning on picking up friends, and in another, he said he was going to pick up crayfish, which are two very different things. Unless your friends are crayfish, yeah. I won't judge you. I mean, he's kind of a weird kid. Maybe I mean, his maybe his friends were crayfish. crayfish. And then he was like, don't tell them it's crayfish. They'll think you're fucking weird. And he's like, I'm picking up my friends. And then they're like, what's the real reason? And he's like, I'm picking up my crayfish friends. Anyway, he also never told King Island where he was allegedly going that he intended to go there, and you have to tell them when you're flying a small plane so they can plan for you. But if it wasn't staged, and it probably wasn't aliens, what the fuck happened to Fred? Well, if it was aliens, I really hope he's having a good time with the aliens. In Tahiti still. In Tahiti still. (laughs) As it turns out, Fred was flying on a day where Venus, at its brightest... Mars, Mercury, and Antares, a very bright star, were all visible. So you have three bright-ass planets and a fucking bright star Mm -hmm. visible. They would have created a diamond shape, which would have explained the mystery lights he saw. Because he did say they kind of looked like they were in kind of a square Uh, formation. So he just saw stars. He might have just seen stars and planets. Then, because he was such a UFO lover, he might have gotten so excited about seeing a UFO flying near him. That he forgot to fly his plane. That he got reckless and then would go into a downward spiral. Mm. Because he was just like, oh shit, oh shit, oh my god, there's a Uh. fucking UFO, there's a fucking... And then he forgot to fly the plane. Yeah, I was going to say, his academic record, he's not very he's smart. Not, he's not great at flying things. And not, and not just that, he just doesn't seem like a very smart person. I know. To I'm sure with. he was very sweet, and we're sad that he's gone, but, you know. Balls a fucking A. <laughs> also, fucking A. In 2013, this theory was somewhat confirmed because they found partial airplane wreckage near where he was flying over the ocean, and the serial numbers on this wreckage... Uh, matched those of the Cessna. So they didn't get a complete serial number, but the numbers they got did match the ones on the Cessna. So they can't 100% say it's definitely him. Right. But there's a good chance. Okay. All right. And then this is the last one where I fell down an internet hole of my own making. But good (laughs) news, there's a cute picture with it. Oh, good. So Barney and Betty Hill were driving back to their home in New Hampshire on September 19th, 1961. Now, some of you, if you've read about aliens before, you have probably heard about this one because it's sort of like the OG of alien sightings. Mm -hmm. It's one of the first, like, most publicly talked about ones. And we'll go into some of the details of it. So, Barney and Betty Hill who were an interracial couple and were members of the NAACP. I just, it's not super relevant. I just like it because it was 1961 and like, love who you love and you fucking badasses. Anyway, so the Hills had been vacationing in Niagara Falls and Montreal and they were presumably looking forward to settling back in at home with their good doggo, whom had accompanied them on the trip. That's right, motherfucker. I put that detail in because I want to show you a picture of them with their dog. Look at that good dog! That's a good dog! Look at that good dog and look at that good couple. (sighs) Oh my god. I love them. I love them. His name was Delcy. Hmm. And their names were Barney and Betty. Anyway, at around 10.30pm, Betty spotted a bright light that, at first, she thought was a falling star. This detail also spooked me out because I recently had a nightmare that started out as a dream where I was outside and saw a falling star. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. And all my friends were outside. So I was like, look, a falling star. And then suddenly there were a lot more falling stars. And we realized they were, in fact, missiles. And then it led to a handmade style dystopia. So don't have nightmares. Anyway, Betty noticed something weird about the falling star. Namely, it was falling up and moving erratically, which is not usually what falling stars no, do. No, not really. Betty urged Barney to pull over so that they could get a better look at what the fuck was in the sky. So they stopped at a scenic picnic area, figuring, I mean, we can take the dog out. Sure. And then also get a glimpse of whatever the fuck this is. And Betty peered through binoculars that they had in the car. That's when she reportedly saw odd-shaped craft with flashing multicolored lights. She said it flew across the face of the moon, and then she was like, oh fuck, this is a UFO. She speculated it was this one because her sister had seen a UFO a few years prior. Right. Barney, however, was like... That's weird. It's probably nothing. It's probably just an airplane. Whatevs. Yeah. But then the craft turned and descended towards them. And that's when they were like, oh shit, that's not a plane. What the fuck? 
So they scooped up Delcy, the very good doggo, and noped on out of there. So they all loaded back into the car, and they were driving slowly on the isolated road to try and keep a good look on whatever the fuck this craft was, but also get the fuck out of there. Mm -hmm. So Betty got a better look at it at this point, and described it as being about one and a half times the length of the granite cliff they were driving along, so that would make it about 80 feet long. Right. And she said it was rotating. When they were one mile south of Indian Head in New Hampshire, the craft zoomed down towards them. Barney slammed on the brakes because he was like, fuck, I'm going to crash into right. whatever the shit this is. And the craft hovered somewhere between 80 and 100 feet above their 1957 Chevy Bel Air. And it took up their entire line of sight. Barney even said it looked like a huge pancake. I like Barney. I like pancakes. It, it's <laughs> for everyone. <laughs> So Barney left the car and moved towards the object, proving he is far braver than me because I would have stayed in the fucking car, probably thrown it in reverse and just noped on out of there right? even faster. Like, you don't have to get out and look at it. It's okay, Barney. You don't really have to. You've done enough today. Let's just go home. <laughs> what he saw as he approached closer were vaguely humanoid forms inside the object. So there were like windows and peering through them, he saw sort of like gray indistinct shapes that kind of looked like smaller humans. Mm -hmm. And the closer he got to it, he then heard a message that told him to stay where he was and just keep looking. So uh -huh. that's when he stopped and got a better look at these things. In fact, these things would go on to become the gray figures that are most commonly associated with what aliens look like. Mm. So that's why so many pop culture aliens have a similar appearance, yeah. because they're all kind of based on what Barney and Betty see on this day. So, imagine a little gray dude with the pointy chin. And the, yeah. 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 Thanks, Barney and Betty. Thanks, Barney and Betty. And your good dog, Delcy. Um, all the aliens were wearing black uniforms and caps. And so this is when Barney panicked, because he's like, oh, fuck, these aren't people. Right. I don't know what the shit I thought was going to happen, but they also just, like, teleported a message to me to stay where I am. Bye. So he told Betty they were about to be captured, and they sprinted back to the car. <laughs> so they drove off at a high speed now, and Betty was looking through the window to see if she could spot where the craft was, if right. it was following them, whatever. And that's when they heard a rhythmic series of beeping and buzzing noises, felt a tingling sensation. Oh, no. And then nothing. Mm. When they came back to their right minds, they found they had driven 35 miles south of where they had been. And they only had vague recollections of what the fuck just happened. Uh-huh. So they drove home to their home in the different part of New Hampshire. And as you do. As you do. And the Hills started experiencing some weird side effects of their spooky encounter that day. Betty had an impulse to keep their luggage near the back door instead of bringing it into the main part of the house. Mm -hmm. Weird. Barney discovered their binoculars now had a torn strap, but he had no recollection of it tearing. Then he found that the toes of his dress shoes were scraped, but just the toes. The rest of the shoes were fine, almost as if he had been dragged. Dragged. Um, Only the toes got scuffed. Uh -huh. He also felt a compulsion, and this is where it's going to get weird. He felt a compulsion to check out his junk in the bathroom, but he said that there was nothing, like, r outwardly wrong with right. his genitals. He just felt this weird need to look at them. <laughs> I don't know, man. Don't, I mean. I mean, he was probably just like, yep, that's a penis. And then he just like walked back up. Who among us <laughs> hasn't just needed to just check? You gotta make sure it's still there sometimes. Because you just don't know. <laughs> <laughs> also, an odd detail. Their watches would never work again. Huh. So they couldn't get them fixed, nothing. They just, they weren't going to work again. Betty's wardrobe also had not escaped unscathed. It, her dress was torn at the hem, zipper, and lining, and there was a weird pinkish powder on it. Mm. When she hung it on the clothesline, the powder blew away, but the dress still was never the same. Five labs have since conducted tests on the dress, but I could not find any record of what they found, which yeah. I'm guessing means they found nothing. nothing. The trunk of their car also now had shiny concentric circles on it that had not been there the previous day. Mm. So, like... Yeah. What? <laughs> so, Barney and Betty then took very long showers to remove possible alien contamination. <laughs> and also just to sit and think about what was going <laughs> also, on in their life. who among us has not taken a despair shower? Right. Where you're just like, what the fuck? I'm gonna take a shower. 
So that's what they did. Today, me today after throwing <laughs> up in the gym. <laughs> me most of the days this week. It's been a long week, y'all. Anyway, after their showers, Barney and Betty drew pictures of what they had observed. Betty also ended up drawing what would turn out to look kind of like a star map. And what's weird is the star map that she drew, scientists later noticed, looked like Zeta Reticuli, which is a system inside the Reticulum constellation that at the time wasn't really well known. So it's not like she drew Orion's Belt, a constellation she had business knowing. Which is a waste of space. Which is a waste of space, only three stars. But she drew this weird, obscure, very specific constellation. So they're like, okay, so some... Some sources call this the reticulum incident because yeah. of where they think these aliens would have come from because this of her drawings. This reminds me. Her drawings just like make me think of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I'm like, is she drawing them in her mashed potatoes? <laughs> I'm sure she is because shit's <laughs> about to get weird for poor Betty. Oh. Ultimately, they made a report to Pease Air Force Base and they were afraid they were going to look crazy. So they originally in their first report kind of withheld some details because they didn't want the Air Force Base to be like, well, these fuckers are weird. Right. And then the and they're in an interracial marriage. I know. Like, what weird fuckers. This, we don't approve because we suck. Ultimately, they would give, like, the full account and they would continue to retell it for a while. They kept trickling through different layers of, like, people who wanted to know and ultimately ended up talking to a Boston astronomer who believed that they were telling the truth. Mm-hmm. But this astronomer was also a member of a civilian UFO research group, so he's maybe not, like, a super reliable source. Yeah, he, he, he wants to believe as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so ten days after the possible abduction, Betty started having really vivid dreams for the first time. And what's weird is in her life, Betty had never had vivid dreams. She's not like me, where she always remembers her dreams to an absurd level of detail. But over the next five nights, she would have incredibly vivid dreams that she could not forget. It was like they were burned into her brain. But it was only for five nights. And each of the dreams filled in a different part of that fateful encounter. And then after five days, no more dreams. In the dreams, she was being forced by two small men to walk in a forest at night, with Barney walking behind her in a trance. The two were walked up a ramp into a disc-shaped aircraft, separated, and then an exam was performed on her by another alien man who seemingly had an imperfect grasp of English. This alien, whom she would refer to as the examiner, basically told her he just wanted to study her so they could determine the differences between humans and the aliens who lived on the craft. So he cut off a lock of her hair, he trimmed her fingernails and kept the clippings, and he even scraped some skin off of her feet. And he also examined, like, her eyes, her ears, her mouth, like, basically all the things that the pediatrician does to make sure that all your body parts are there, Mm -hmm. this alien was doing to her. Mm -mm. But then he stuck a giant needle in her stomach, which caused her excruciating pain. But another alien that she would refer to as the leader waved his hand in front of her eyes and the pain stopped. Later, the examiner left the room and Betty was left alone with the leader and she was wandering around and she found a book with weird symbols in it. And the leader was like, you can keep that if you want. And she's like, oh, cool, thanks. So she was like, gonna leave with it. But then another alien noticed she had it and like the aliens all got into a huge argument and they were like, it's better if they don't remember anything. And then the aliens wiped her memory, even though she swore she would never forget what they had done. I was going to ask if the title of the book was How to Cook Humans. How to Cook <laughs> how, Four how to, Humans. How, how to, to Cook, cook 40, 40 Humans. <laughs> uh, uh. It's a cookbook. After undergoing hypnosis to try and recover the lost memories, the Hills then went back to their normal lives. So they did go through a couple rounds of like trying to determine what the fuck happened. And the hypnosis was moderately successful. They kind of retold a lot of the same details they had already told. But then it also seemed to, like, lessen their anxiety and trauma. So if nothing else, it helped them, like, restore a baseline level of being yeah. okay. And so they went back to their normal lives and they didn't talk about it a ton. They would talk to their friends and family and the odd UFO researcher about it, if anybody asked. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't like they were like, hey, we're the people who saw, who saw those aliens. Why don't you let us tell you a story and then pay us money? They kept it mostly to themselves unless they were asked. 
A few years later, with their permission, John Fuller wrote the book The Interrupted Journey about what happened. And a movie was made in the 70s called The UFO Incident, and it starred James Earl Jones and Estelle Parsons. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So we got to find that movie. I think it was, I think it was like an HBO movie. It wasn't Mm. like an in the theaters movie. Yeah. Then in 1969, on February 25th, Barney died of a cerebral hemorrhage. Oh, no. So only a few years later, which in and of itself is kind of weird. Yeah. That this, like, healthy man, because, like, by accounts, they were they were really normal people who took good care of themselves. Yeah. And then Betty died of cancer in October 2004, and she had never remarried Aww. after losing Barney. So she really loved him. Dang. Yeah. All right. So that's... That was a lot of upsetting stories. Yeah, and that last one, I was just like, mm, let's just look at this picture Aww, of them and their dog. their dog. Look at their dog. Look how in love they are. Right. What a good couple. Good couple. Babies. Tell me some funny stories. All right. One is kind of funny because of the comeuppance the guy gets, <laughs> but the other one is more just like, well, that's kooky. <laughs> so the first one is Travis Walton. Travis Walton joined the Huffington Post's Weird News podcast to talk <clears throat> about a day 40 years ago when the then 22-year-old logger says he was knocked unconscious and woke up to find he was surrounded by extraterrestrials aboard his ship. Cool. So he was doing his login and he woke up on a spaceship. Awesome. So there's a metallic glowing disc making some very strange sounds. I like to think they were fart noises. Right. Just to, like, lighten the mood, just... The closer I got to it, the more scared we all got, and they were swearing at me to get away from there, so his co-workers, right? <laughs> and when I got up close, it suddenly got louder and started to move. So wait, his co-workers were abducted too? Well, that, so he, he's saying that his co-workers saw it. Okay, so yeah. like, he was but logging, he, they, saw they saw it, it, and then he was knocked out yeah. and woke up. I jumped for okay. cover, and then jumped up to run back to the truck, and that's when this blast of energy hit me, and I felt this numbing shot go through my body. But the crew said it threw me in the air 10 or 20 feet, and I landed in a way that they were immediately certain it had killed me, and so they fled. What good co-workers. Well, he's dead. I guess we should bounce. So this incident was on November 5th, 1975. They were working in the Sitgreaves National Forest near Heber, Arizona. Okay. Walton and six other loggers were heading home when they suddenly saw this 40-foot diameter shiny disc hovering in the air. So he says everyone saw it. I don't know about that. Did anyone else report seeing it, or were they all, like, super chill about having just seen their co-worker maybe die? Let's find out. Okay. So, Walton was ultimately declared missing for five days, during which time his logger buddies fell fell under the suspicion of foul play. They they (laughs) were like, like, we left him for dead. They were like, I don't know, he seemed dead. IDK, bye. Bye. And then the cops were like, so you killed him, that's why you left him for dead. So the last time you saw him, he looked dead, Dead. and you you people were the only ones around, Right. right? But then Walton finally turned up again, not knowing how long he'd been gone. And not so, quite dead yet. So an intense investigation was underway, including multiple polygraph, physical, and psychological tests. So good. He said that Huff, he told the HuffPost that little is known about the aftermath detail that what, like he didn't make a lot of the stuff public. But apparently there was subsequent research in the forest area, which has shown unusual growth rate in trees immediate, uh, in the immediate vicinity of the encounter. Hmm. About 15 years later, it was discovered that the trees nearest to where the UFO had hovered was producing wood fiber at 36 times the rate it had in the 85 years before that. That's weird. And more recently, a complete core sampling revealed that this thickened growth was only on one side of the trees or toward the way the craft had been. I don't like that. Right? And he says that, you know, there's a stigma that he and so many other people who claim encounters with possible alien beings are considered generally unreliable wackos. <laughs> but he says the scientific evidence of the likelihood of intelligent life in our vicinity has become so overwhelming that the people who believe that we're alone in the universe, those are the real kooks. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, like, the universe is so vast that, like, how the hell can't right. other things exist? We can't be all that. That's why I'm all in on aliens. We could not possibly be, be the, the only, only things. Thing. Yeah. It's so fucking big. Like, because it's so fucking big, there's a good chance we'll never, like, know conclusively. Right. But it's definitely definitely out there. Yeah. My my favorite thing that like my students say whenever we do Beloved or read Beloved was 
like we do this you know anonymous Q&A thing and the mm-hmm. question is always you know do you believe in ghosts and there are kids who are like well science hasn't proven the not existence of ghosts so it's like you and me yeah. you're like it hasn't proven they don't, don't exist. exist and I'm like it hasn't proven, proven they, they do, do exist yeah, except so. with aliens I'm all in yeah I'm all in for <laughs> aliens and then the second story is about Lloyd Canning he apparently had his first visit from the other world 10 years ago, or it's not 10 years ago, at this point it's 13 years ago, when he was abducted in 2005. A resident of Evesham, Worcestershire, Worcester, Worcester probably, Worcester, Worcester. there we go, Canning is the father of two, a former scaffolder. He says that he saw a UFO hovering over his newly purchased secondhand van in 2005, after right. which he was abducted. Ever since the abduction, he had had images compelled into his brain, images of beautifully surrealistic objects that he felt compelled to paint as soon as they swept across his brain. Okay. He says, ever since that first sighting, I have had these crazy visions that just come over me. When they happen, it's like I don't have a choice. I just have to paint them. It's something that I think I have to tell people about. I think I was chosen because I'm an artist, and they knew that they could channel through me. So until 2012, he kept his painting secret in fear of ridicule, but now he chooses to be more open with whatever he does. He had his first art exhibition in 2013, and he also regularly attends conventions for discussions on ETs and multidimensional beings. Hmm. I met someone at a recent event in Leeds, and he explained to me about channeling. He said to me, there's a strong chance that you're being used by extraterrestrials, and they could be channeling through you. He says that he's been visited by six alien spaceships on different occasions until now. And he, in 20, uh, I think this was in like 20... 13 or 2014 that this was reported, mm-hmm. um, but he was preparing for an international exhibition. Mm-hmm. However, well, first off, let me show you the photos, or okay. like the, 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 um, his art. So yeah, it's like pretty oh, surreal. Wow. Yeah, it's very surreal. A lot of Is that an alien inspired, giving the finger? I think it's, he's, Oh, he's, yeah, he's, he's holding, holding it with the middle yeah, finger. Yeah. It kind of looks like the alien is just like double yeah. flipping the bird. And he's, he's very, you know, surrealist yeah. and almost like the exploding, oh, yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know the exploding brain meme. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. he ca- it kind of looks, looks like, like he, that. he drew the galaxy brain. So in 2015, oh, recent, recent, it was revealed that the artist admitted that he fooled everyone. Of course, right. It was. So whereas all these other you know things, people like stick with it to the end. Mm-hmm. Artist Lloyd Canning had said that you know like oh you know I'm doing all you know like oh it, it just aliens, comes to me. It comes to me, but. He now boldly revealed in 2015 that it was all for laughs on his Facebook page. He posted a few days ago, oh, at this point, 2015. Yeah. For anyone who have seen my, my story in the papers, the truth is I've never been abducted, but I had, have had some great sightings. Don't you just love the media? Exposure is all I wanted. Exposure is all I, all what I got. LOL, LOL, I love you all. Bye. Yeah. And then he said, but on his website, it seems that Canning's artistic process isn't so different from what he told the press. It just doesn't feature aliens. No, it just He's, comes to him. Like, he, it, he, it just comes to him. He just yeah. paints weird shit because it comes to him. But he had a wee bit of fun, mate. Oh, a wee bit of fun. A wee bit of fun. Over Wooster. In Wooster. With he, his aliens. He had a bit of a bro- laugh over bro- in Wooster with his alien brothers. <laughs> So, yeah, I just wanted to make sure that you felt okay. It's such a stupid alien story, I it thought. It is a really dumb alien story. <laughs> That's the, that was how it. we were going to lift us up at the end. Well, I feel better now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Aliens. Aliens. Hands. Hands. All right, well, that's been Spoo Power. We are afraid of aliens. I'm sorry that I have to leave you this evening. That's fine. <laughs> I'll be fine. Um, probably. It's fine. You won't be abducted by aliens, I promise you. If I am, it's your and, goddamn fault. And if you are, I hope it's like one of those Mr. Burns aliens where oh, he just brings you love. And he sings me like, Kesara, Sara. I bring you love. <laughs> also, at the end of this episode, I'm going to put probably the best spoop hour blooper of all time in which I accidentally flipped my phone onto my keyboard mid story and scared the shit out of Sasha and myself. So it was pretty intense. It was. And then we had like a merry laugh. So I'll put all of this at the end. It was almost as though we were camping. It was that 
It was intense. (laughs) (laughs) I hate this. This has been Spoop Bauer. Find us on the internet. We love you. Don't find us aliens. Please don't send us aliens either. (laughs) Unless you have alien stories, tell us those. What does a movie starring Britney Spears, a slasher film centered around Christmas, and a movie where Mandy Moore gets naked and goes into a gross river have in common? They were all made in the 2000s. Guess What You're Gonna Hate is a podcast where I make my friend Janine watch the worst movies of the 2000s and laugh at her. Check us out on iTunes or look us up online by going to hatepodcast.com. I hope you like it, because I sure know Janine doesn't. As it turns out, Fred was flying on a day where they were able to determine that Venus was visible as... Good lord, man. <laughs> I just threw my phone at the yeah. computer. Venus was visible! I'll <laughs> <laughs> put this at the end because I'm really laughing. <laughs> oh, scared the shit out of me. <laughs> oh my god, it's Friday. Whew. You okay, champ? No. <laughs> <laughs> just flip the fuck out of my phone. Whew, Otterbox is today's sponsor. I'm glad that your keyboard survived you. I know, and that I didn't, like, do anything weird to it. You didn't, like, crack your computer screen. <laughs> Sorry, guys, we can't record anymore. Courtney demolished her laptop by flipping her phone on it. Fuck. Whew. All right. Blue Ocean. <laughs> Blue Ocean's a good Japanese restaurant. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm. And a dumb business theory. Anyway. As it turns out, Fred was flying on a day where Venus was... (laughs) Don't throw your phone. (laughs) I got in my head. Okay, okay, okay. You're welcome, listeners, for putting this garbage at the end.